All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. 13th chapter of John. We're really in the third section of the Gospel of John, and this is what is known as the upper room discourses. This is where Jesus is doing some teaching concerning uh, his disciples. He's getting ready to be betrayed. He said his hour has come, so it's that evening. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to uh, go to the cross. But he spends a significant portion of this gospel, it's actually 25% of the gospel, giving them some instructions. And I think it's very important because the things he's telling them are the things that you and I need to know as we're living right now before he returns. And in chapter 13, I was, I was kind of amazed as I was looking at it again this week, you know, you ever heard somebody say the great love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13? Love is this, you know, we hear it at weddings, okay? Great love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. I, actually, I think John 13 is the great love chapter. Why would you say that? Well, he just told us last week when we looked at the beginning through the illustration of washing people's feet, how we are to be with each other, serve each other. We're going to see today him extending love to, of all people, Judas, okay? The guy who's going to betray him. And then after Judas leaves, he's going to give them some guidance and, and he's going to tell them, by this shall they know that you are my disciples, that you what? Love one another. This is the love chapter. Serving each other, serving our enemies, I actually call it loving the unlovable. And then, again, loving each other. The great love chapter, and we see this from Jesus. And really, to be honest with you folks, let me remind you, we're in that section of John where he's giving them instructions about how they're supposed to be because he's going to leave. Well, we're on the other side of that, he's left. But those instructions are still there. They're still there for you and I to know how to interact with each other. Now, the problem with this chapter and the problem with what we're going to look at today is, is that it goes against our human instincts. It goes against the way that we operate as humans with people around us. Because it's real easy to love family, right? Unless it's crazy Uncle Joe, right? But... Uh, it's real easy to love family and, and love your friends and love your neighbors who have their animals in control and aren't using your, your yard as their bathroom. Do you understand? It's real easy to do that, right? But when you talk about the unlovable, that just goes against the grain of who we are. And I, I kind of want to talk about human reactions for a moment, before we talk about the heart of Jesus, because that's what we're going to focus on in verses 18 through 30. We're going to see the heart of Jesus, especially in his interaction with Judas. I'm going to talk about how we are. And here's the first one. We write people off we don't like. We write people off we don't like. You've got to admit that. You know what I'm saying? If we don't like someone, we write them off. Or we, here we go, we unfriend them. Right? We unfriend them. That's the social media way of saying it, right? Unfollow them. 
okay? And, and so we, we, that's our natural human tendency. If we don't like someone, if, we're, if they're not like us or they're unlovable to us, we will just write them off. We don't have time for them. We don't want them to be a part of our lives. We separate ourselves from them. And, and all that goes with that, in that writing off. That's the human reaction. Culturally, it gets a little bit uglier. What do you mean culturally? Well, here's my second point. In fact, our culture advocates the destruction of our enemies. Right now, to be honest with you, it seems like cruelty is the way that you deal with people you don't like. Now, we're observing that in the world around us. And, and look, can I be honest with you? That's just natural. But what is not natural is for the church to exhibit cruelty to people that they don't like or who hold a different opinion or whatever. And, and you say, well, what are you, what are you talking about, one party? No, I'm not talking about both parties. It doesn't matter. No parties. This is just the way people are acting. Do, do you understand? It's just like, read the news. I got your order wrong at McDonald's. Don't shoot me. Sorry, I forgot the ketchup pack. Right? That's our culture right now. We're, we're, we're overreacting because, again, we want to write people off. Our culture is saying, destroy people. But here's the thing that's interesting. Man, you have got to guard your hearts against falling into that natural way of the course of this world. And how do we do that? We look to Jesus. And we're going to see today something that if we just read the passage, it would just blow on right on by us. But Jesus is going to do something that is completely amazing with the guy that he knows is going to betray him. All right, so stop for a moment. All right, so if I were to go up to you and I'd say, hey, you know, you know so-and-so in your life, yeah, He's going to betray you. He's going to do you in. How would you act to that person then? Maybe you would be controlled enough that you'd be like, uh, you know, I'm not sure though. You've kind of got to give them the weird eye. Like you're just waiting for something to happen. Some of us though might be like, what do you mean you're going to do this to me? I heard you're going to do this to me. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Well, let's take a look at it together. Look with me at verse 18 through 30. But let's look at what John records here. Verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there, leaning on Jesus' bosom, was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him and asked him who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And having received the piece of bread, he then went out and meet, he went out immediately, and it was night. Now, when we look at this passage, normally what we would focus on is, okay, yeah, Jesus is identifying one's going to be betraying him. Jesus kind of points out who it is that did betray him. Satan enters into Judas's heart, and then Judas leaves. And that's kind of like where we want to focus on. But I want to go a little bit deeper into the passage because I'm going to show you something about the heart of Jesus. And it's not just the heart of Jesus to you and I. It's the heart of Jesus to the unlovable. It's the heart of Jesus to the guy who's going to betray him. And it'll blow your mind because I'll be honest with you, I've thought about it a little bit. I don't know that I could do it. But then again, I'm not Jesus, am I? So let's look at this together. First thing we're going to notice the heart of Jesus. Jesus knew that one of his closest friends would betray him. Right off from the very beginning, Jesus isn't caught by surprise by what's going to happen in a few short hours when, when they'll come for him in the garden. He's telling them right beforehand, look, one of you is going to betray me. Look at what it says in verse 18. You know, he had talked about earlier about those who were following him and those who were his servants, but he says, I speak not concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus knew from the beginning, he wasn't shocked, he wasn't surprised that one of them was going to betray him. He knew exactly who it was. He's not surprised by this. Why? Well, here's why he tells them this, verse 19 through 20. He says, I'm going to tell you this. Why? I tell you this before it comes to pass, verse 19, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. What's going on here? Here's what's going on. Jesus reveals this reality so that we would believe who he is. What's he doing here? Okay, because... Guess what? What's going to happen? This is Thursday night. They're in the upper room in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover meal. And he's telling them, one of you is going to betray me. He's going to get ready and a little bit further in the conversation, he's going to tell them, I'm going to die. He's doing all of this for one reason, so that you and I will believe 
that he is who he is because he knew what he was facing and he willingly faced it. Nothing is happening to Jesus from this point on that's a surprise to him. So when he talks to you through the passage or through his actions, he's letting you know, I'm the one. I'm the one who's in control. I even know who it is that's going to betray me. That's, that's just radical. And that helps you to understand. We're not, our belief isn't in someone who just happened to die on a cross and raise again. Our belief is in one who went to the cross willingly, knowing that he would die there, and knowing that he would be raised again, and knowing that when he rose, he would be seated on the right hand of the Father, and knowing that one day he will return and set all things right. That's what our belief is in. And this is the heart of Jesus. You say, okay, that's the heart of Jesus, but yeah, okay, that, yeah, but what about Judas thing here? What's going on here? Well, let's go on. So first of all, what we're going to see is, when you look at verse 21, knowing that all this is going to happen, the scripture reveals to us that Jesus is human. Remember I told you he's fully human, he's fully God. We kind of think of him just as fully God, that he can handle anything but he's also fully human. So guess what it says? Look with me at verse 21. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit. He was troubled. What's going on here? This is the point. It bothered Jesus that he would be betrayed and face death. It bothered him. You and I can relate to that, right? You and I, I mean... I find, can I be honest with you, most people hate confrontation. Do you know what I mean? When you've got to confront somebody about an issue, most, most are naturally conveyed. We hate that. Most people don't go, all right, I'm ready to settle this. No. Most people are like, oh, man, I don't want to do this because you know it's going to be a negative experience, right? You know that what's going to happen is a negative experience, and who knows what the outcome's going to be. We don't like that, so we try to avoid it. Here Jesus is facing a situation where he knows he's going to die. It's got to bother him. Because he's human. And it bothers him. It bothers him that he would be betrayed by a friend. It bothers him that he would face death. It bothers him. You know, I'm not going to ask you if you've been betrayed. I'm sure you have. It happens, right? For me, I think about one of the greatest betrayals that ever happened in my life was, you know, we were pastoring in Canada. We put four years of our life into a small church plant in central Ontario, we weren't from Canada, but we went to this church there. And uh, towards the end, it got really ugly over a church basement. Okay? And the people loved us. They were just fighting among themselves. In the meantime, somebody, another pastor, <clears throat> um, he wanted me to leave Canada he was in our association of churches. And so he involved himself without my knowing it in this 
ongoing dispute. And I didn't know it at the time, but he was working behind the scenes and it got really bad. It got so bad that we went um, three different pay periods without getting paid. And the only thing I can do, it can't, you say, well, couldn't you just get a job somewhere else? No, because my visa only allowed me to pastor. I couldn't do anything else. But we had money saved up, so we weathered it. But it just got ugly and bad. And then it finally got to the point where I felt God was saying, okay, it's okay to go back home to Pennsylvania. And I talked to Lori, got up one, one morning, and I said, I think the Lord's telling us to leave. And she said, yeah, I think so too. And so we resigned. That was 1999. We resigned in September of 1999, four years exactly. And uh, we, it was after the resignation that I found out that there was this guy working behind the scenes to get us out of there. And he was my friend. And that was a betrayal. And it hurt. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about when somebody close to you does something and it hurts you? And it hurt. And then here we are. We go back home. I don't have a church to go to because I resigned. Typically, that's not the thing for pastors to do is just resign without having to go somewhere. Normally, you find a church, and then you leave, right? Well, we didn't. We just left. God told us to leave. We left. So we go back, and we go back to my, go back to work for my father-in-law, doing what I love to do, Christmas trees. And it was harvest time, and he graciously let us work for them. And I remember when I left there before I took the church, God, I'll never come back there. And he brought me right back to there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really even more hurt now because of the betrayal. Because I'm having to do what I don't want to do. And that hurts. But then when I read a passage like this, you understand, Jesus, You understand because you were betrayed and it bothered you too. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what we're reading here. That's the heart of Jesus. Let, let's go on. Here He goes on and he says this. The sad thing is, is that he's saying to them, there's one of you who's going to do this and he's bothered by it and, and one guy's going to do this. Everybody else around him, they couldn't see it. Look, look with me at verse 22 to 25. This is what blows my mind. Judas is in the middle of him. Judas is robbing from the money box. They think he's this great guy, obviously because they made him the treasurer. And Jesus is saying, somebody's going to betray me. They don't even, they can't even clue in. Look with me at what happens in verse 22. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Who's he talking about? Look what else it says there. Then, now there, leaning on Jesus' bosom, was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, what do you mean leaning on his bosom? Well, I want you to picture the scene. Don't think of a table like you and I think of a table where we scoot our chair up to. Their table was like down here. 
and when you went to the table, you laid down, you know, you would lay at the table and your feet would be on the back. And so you're kind of like leaning into each other, eating. So right next to Jesus is John. Now John so loves Jesus and he's so amazed that Jesus loves him, he can't even say John was leading there. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't identify himself. He just talks about the disciple. He's leaning on the breast. Okay, so that's what's happening there. And so here's what happens. Simon Peter, verse 24, therefore motioned to him and asked him, hey, ask the master who it is. Now, you and I know why Peter wants to know, right? Peter, the guy who breaks out the sword, cuts people's ears off. You know why Peter wants to know. Peter's like, I'll take care of this dude. He ain't leaving here alive. That's Peter, right? But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, it's the guy I'm going to give a morsel to. The thing about it I want you to see here is this, is that sometimes the existence of the betrayer is not known to others. We know that, right? Think about your human experience where you have been betrayed. Sometimes you meet people and are like, oh, yeah, so-and-so, man, he is the greatest guy ever. And you're like, wait a minute, you don't know what he did to me. And you even try to communicate that to them, and they're like, him? Nah, you must be crazy. And that's what's going on here. Here's this guy who's going to betray him. Nobody else sees it. But Jesus is trying to tell them it's the one. He's the one who's going to do it. And this is where Jesus' heart comes in. This is the amazing thing that happens. Here it is. In spite of what would take place, Jesus honored his betrayer. What? In spite of what took place, Jesus honored his betrayer. What do you mean he honored his betrayer? Okay, so here's the thing. You and I, we may have rituals at our meals, okay? So, but we don't really have that elaborate of a ritual. So, okay, so for instance, okay, we're going to have a picnic here in a few weeks and we're going to have all the food and, and here's the ritual at Kermansville Christian Church at a picnic. Welcome. Let's pray. Eat. That's our ritual, right? And don't go away hungry. And we've got take-home trays for you to take home stuff with you. All right? Not that way in the ancient culture, especially in ancient Jewish culture. In an ancient Jewish culture, there were points to the meal where certain things would take place. And each part of the meal was symbolic, especially with the Passover meal. And there was a part of the meal where the host, and who is the host here? It's Jesus, would take a piece of bread and he would dip it. And then he would give that piece of bread that he would honor somebody at the table with, somebody special to him. It's an act of honor. It's an act of love. You don't give it to just everybody. You give it to the one you want to honor. So here's what he's doing. At this meal, and the other guys would be like, yeah, I understand. He's the money man. He's, he's Judas. We like him. Jesus is dipping the bread, and he's giving it to, at that point in the meal, it, where it's so symbolic, he's giving it to Judas. And he's honoring him. That blows our minds. I mean, think about it for a moment. Would you honor the guy who's going to 
basically sign your death warrant? Would you do that? I wouldn't. What's Jesus doing here? He's loving the unlovable. You know, you know what I think Jesus is doing? I think he's giving Judas another chance. I really do think he's giving Judas the other. So you say, well, no, no, you don't understand. For, in order for everything to be fulfilled, he had to do I understand that, but God's still reaching out to him. And that makes what he's about to do even more hideous. Because he's about to betray Jesus, even though Jesus is still what? Loving him. Honoring him. That's the heart of the Lord. And folks, that is so anti-cultural today, isn't it? Where we what? Write people off. And we even are advocating the destruction of our enemies. That's Jesus. That's, that's Jesus. And so... In spite of what took place, Jesus honored his betrayer. But here's the thing I want you to see from the passage. This is what blows my mind, verse 27 through 30. Look with me. Verse 27. Now after the peace of bread, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought that Judas had the money box and that Jesus had said to him, buy those things which we need for the feast or, or give, so, give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he, went, he then went out immediately and it was night. Here's what I want you to see. Even though he was honored, the betrayer still chose to betray Jesus. That's a dark heart. Listen, I, I talk to people all the time that are like, I don't understand why he doesn't believe. I don't understand. I, we do this. We love him. We're showing him this. We, we've taught him. We've done this. And we, I don't understand why he doesn't believe. I'm going to explain something to you. It's not what you're doing. You keep doing what you're doing. It's they choose not to believe. Do you understand what I'm saying? With Judas, it's not that he, he just... Oh, wow, I get, to be, I get to be the special guy today at the meal. Wonderful. Thanks for the bread, Jesus. But I'm still going to do what I want to do. Why? Because he doesn't believe. He's in it for himself. What do you mean he's in it for himself? Think about it. He sold Jesus for what? 30 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. Because he's only thinking about himself and what he wants. Yet Jesus still loves him and reaches out to him. He said, okay, George, wow. Okay, so you help me understand that passage. What does that got to do with me today? Well, I want us to think about this passage from two different perspectives, okay? Because what we're talking about is loving the unlovable. 
So here's the first perspective I want you to think about it from. He loves you. And let's be honest. We're unlovable. What do you mean? I'm unlovable. We're sinners. We willfully sin against him. Even we still do, right? He died for us. We 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 just sang that, George. We believe. Yes, we believe. We've put our faith and trust in Jesus. And guess what? We still what? We still sin against him. I sin. You sin. We do dumb stuff intentionally. And he still what? Loves us. He loves the unlovable. And that includes us. Do you understand? That includes, that's what blows my mind about salvation. Doesn't it blow your mind? That he would continue to love you and I in spite of us. That is so unhuman. Because think about it for a moment. I mean, we're all, we all have friendships, but if you've got a friend that's continually doing you wrong, at some point you're going to be like, I'm done with this. Till you figure this out, don't call me again. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't act with us like that? Because he loves the unlovable. Now, some of us might be uncomfortable with that because they're like, well, wait a minute, George. Are you saying I'm like Judas? Yeah, we're exactly like Judas. If you're honest with yourself, we're exactly like Judas. Here's the second component of this. Remember I told you this is a great love chapter? Right after this, he's going to tell everybody, by this shall you know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. Here's what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to follow his example. And he's calling us with that to be, let's say it, countercultural. Meaning what? That we need to love the unlovable. Do you understand? Are you sure he's saying that? Man, listen, how many times does the pastor say, love your enemies? It doesn't say, love your enemies and then kick them. He says, love your enemies. As I have loved you. Love the unlovable. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that in our culture where things are spiraling out of control on whatever side the spectrum you might be on. There needs to be something that stands out. And that's Jesus. But how does Jesus stand out in our culture? It's through his body. Who's that? His people. And that means we got to what? 
love the unlovable. Something to ponder, isn't it? Let me pray for you.